This is not count for my clock. Sometimes I like to give you some context about what I'm going through and why I'm preaching certain things, okay? Because, um, I don't know if this has happened, but for some reason this year has been the year of, um, of loose series where we've revisited ideas. And even though these sermons go to different destinations and deal with different issues, it seems that there's, a, there's a through line, a consistent theme in some of these sermons. We dealt with awareness for seven weeks. And then we dealt with holiness, obviously. But then we got into stuff like, um, remember we talked about being a lot, becoming, you know, uh, being still and knowing what it meant to become like God. Trying to reframe that what you do for God is a symptom of becoming like God and peace and all this stuff. Refuge works if you stay in the refuge. Then we got into, there was a key word called constraint. We got into like the free will and the following God's will. God constrains you and tells you no and all these things. And then we got into angels and we got into um, uh, altars again for like a month. And no matter what I try, I will preach seemingly different messages and we'll have two weeks will be different. And then right by the, the other, every other week, God brings me back to a certain theme. I just want you to know it's not a neglect. <laughs> it's not out of laziness. I didn't, God just speaks in series right now to me. And so this month, oh, we're going to end, I think, this theme. is the theme about uh, being offended by God. It started off with the sermon Conflict. And how God forgives and how you, you don't forgive without there being repentance. If someone actually has sinned or if you've sinned, so they are supposed to forgive you into repentance. You know how God forgives. We talked about how that you just don't give grace and say, well, they don't have to change. How God's confrontational and all these things. Um, and then we talked about being offended by God and how God gives a tree or a seed. And, and when we get offended, we think it's just insecurity or self-deprecation or woe is me. But actually it's showing God we're offended what he's given us because he made us. Okay. So this is the last sermon. Half of you are like, did we talk about all this stuff? Yes, we did. <laughs> so this, even though I've tried, next month we're going to talk about oneness. We're going to talk about church relationships and, and all these things. We're going to talk about um, uh, church services and why we have church the way we do and ministries and, and all. So there's going to be very teaching. You're going to have a season where you're like, man, we're just we're teaching too much. Just trust me, these things come and go. So tonight is the, the, the triplet of conflict. Love and leading of God and being offended by God. Um, tonight, I, since I'm not afraid of using the same word, I'm going to talk to you about the conflict of callings. Now, callings, I don't mean callings as in you're called to be a preacher, you're called to be a music minister, you're called to do this. That is such a small part, it belittles the word calling in the Bible. That is a symptom of a calling. Come on, somebody. A symptom of a calling. That's a gift God gives you. But a calling is this, really, in the Bible. It's where God invites you to see him in a new way. Where God invites you. I don't mean just like you see. Like when you see God, it means you're exposed, you're changed. You go, God is deeper than I thought. God is mightier than I thought. God is pure. Like I see holiness differently. I see salvation differently. I see prayer differently. I, I see God in a new way. That's the actual calling. Invitation to see God in a new, deeper way. You thought you figured God out. And God said, let me show you something else. But every time God shows man a new side of himself, a deeper side in the Bible and in your life, then he gives you the blessing. Or he gives you the hope of the blessing. He gives you the seed of the blessing. So the calling to be a minister, the calling uh, the, to, to be used in this or a new job or that future spouse, whatever, pick your blessing you pray for. That is usually a symptom that is tied to being exposed greater to God. I've said this before, but God will never bless you, heal you, answer a prayer, give you a new job, help you find that, that spouse. God will never do anything like that without using it to make you more like him in the process. 
You know the fruits of the Spirit? That's what happens when you act like God. Love, joy, peace, temperance. You know the gifts of the Spirit? What happens when you move like God? Healing and prophecy. God will never let you have a gift of the Spirit unless you have the fruits of the Spirit. First you look like Him, you're exposed to Him, and then you move like Him. So if I get this in your head, anything you want God to do, it's always tied to seeing God and imitating His nature first. So when you want the job, or you want the spouse, or you want the ministry, or you want the freedom... Even as crazy as being free from an addiction or a sin, it's always tied to being exposed and seeing God and receiving a part of His nature. The callings are symptomatic. The callings, as we call them, are symptomatic of the true calling that is to see me in a new way. Here's what happens, though. When people became to, 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 to become saved, like really saved, in our lifetime, they held the Bible, the full, complete works of God, and they thought they knew God, right? But they weren't saved. They just thought that faith was just acknowledging God. They didn't know about being born again of the water and the Spirit. So they're holding their Bible, and thank God for the Bible. They're passionate about God, okay? They begin to open their Bible, and they realize something. Must be born again of the water of the Spirit. Acts 2.38. And they begin to feel convicted. They begin to feel pain. They begin to feel the Word want to get a hold of them. And... They begin to think thoughts like this. Well, my grandmother raised me this way, and I thought she went to heaven, and I, I taught these Bibles to people, and I thought this was truth. And what happened was, a lot of people said, no, I'll keep holding the Bible, but I'm not going to let the Bible hold me. Now, obviously, they didn't admit it to themselves like that. They thought, I must be out of my mind, or maybe this isn't what the Scripture means. What happened was, they wanted to hold the calling, but they didn't want the calling to get a hold of them. You know that verse, uh, many are called, but few are chosen? Broadly, that speaks about salvation. Many are called to be saved, but few are chosen to be saved. How do you become chosen to be saved? You simply obey. Everybody that is reached by God, that is willing, for God is willing that none should perish. Many are called. But to be chosen, you do what? You just don't hold the burden. You just don't hold the fact that there is a Jesus. You just don't hold the fact that there, that there is grace and love. You have to then let it get a hold of you. By meaning, uh, I, you have to obey. You got born of the water and the spirit. That means that the word got a hold of you and you got saved. Didn't matter how confusing it was or how counterintuitive it was. You let it get a hold of you and you let it do whatever it wanted to do. I didn't know I had to be baptized. I didn't know I had to speak in tongues. I didn't know these things. It's confusing. My grandparents didn't raise me that way. But you let it get a hold of you and then you got chosen. But let's talk about within this circle of being saved. We're already saved. Because other people saw the word that were not saved, and they decided, you know, I don't care how unexpected this is and how this is different from my raising. I'm going to believe in Acts 38. I'm going to believe in the word. I'm going to let it hold me. I'm going to let it do what it wants to do. I'm going to let it take what it wants to take. Even though it's unexpected and painful, confrontational, I'm going to obey it. And so they went from being people that held the Bible and people that were held by the Bible and became saved. Now, God is calling all of us deeper beyond just being saved. God is calling everybody. Everybody in this church and here has a calling. Okay? Many are called if you're chosen. You're called for deeper walks. You're called for deeper ministries. You're called for deeper, deeper experiences, deeper understanding of God. All these things. What happens is you're saved and you hold this Bible. You know what you know about God. And you're holding it. And one day you decide to open this Bible and... As you begin to read, you realize it is deeper than you thought. And it's hard to understand. And, and, and the, the things it's speaking about and the devotional habits, they're very difficult. What most people do is they say, I know I'm saved. I know that I have a hold of being redeemed. And they shut their Bible and they don't let the Bible take any more of a hold on them. Why? Because there's pain. The 
Palmer describes it this way. A baby drinks milk. Does not hurt the baby's stomach. He said the milk of Scripture is repentance and salvation of the cross. The meat of Scripture is all the rest. And he said that you must switch from drinking milk and go on to the meat. And when you first transition from milk to meat, your stomach's going to hurt. When you open your Bible and you try to pray the first time, or you try to have a ministry, or you try to be close to God, your stomach, spiritual stomach, hurts like crazy because you're transitioning. And when most people feel that, when I hold this, it doesn't hurt me. But when I let it get a hold of me, it causes some pain and it freaks us out and we shut it. And we go back to just having a hold of the calling and not letting the calling get a hold of us. We still stay in being called, but we don't go on to being chosen. Many are called if you're chosen. How do you determine if you're chosen? You let the calling do what it wants to do and change you. Every calling has a confrontational moment that causes pain and causes, and causes un, unexpected change in your life. Let me explain it this way. I'm about to preach to you Matthew 16, 17, 18. I'm saying this because context is everything. The very fact that all these stories happen in a linear fashion shows you how powerfully God speaks. Literally, read your Bible in context. You may read a whole book in its entirety before you switch. Or at least read three chapters of it. Because every little story that your Bible breaks up by subject headings, they actually sometimes are one complete message. One complete story. For instance, Peter... Sitting there, and Jesus asked all the disciples, who do people say that I am? Matthew 16. He said, they, they, they say that you're Elijah, or you're John the Baptist, or you're, you're a prophet. And then Jesus said, but who do you all think that I am? And Peter said this, you are the son of the living God. You are Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus said, that's fantastic, Peter, for flesh and blood did not tell you this, but you understood this by, by my Father, by the Spirit. Amazing. Because you saw a deeper side of me, because you saw you were exposed to a deeper part of my nature, I'm going to give you a gift. What did I say? Every time God gives you a potential calling or a gift or a promise of what you can become, it's always tied to seeing him deeper. Peter saw that this is not just a man. This is God in the flesh. And Jesus said, because you saw me in a deeper way, I'm going to let you be moved and used in a deeper way. Because you saw this, I'm going to make you the rock pillar to build my church, Peter. You're going to be the first pastor of my church. You're going to hold the keys of the king, he says. Which basically means that he was setting Peter up to be the guy that spoke on the day of Pentecost. That he was setting Peter up to be the, the rock of his church. Peter was going to be the first pastor. He said, Peter, whatever you loose on earth or bind on earth or loose in heaven or, and bind on heaven, it will, be, it will be free and loose on vice versa that you have the power to bind and loose in dominion. Because you saw a side of me. Because you were exposed to me, I gave you the chance to have a deeper blessing, a deeper and calling, a deeper answer prayer. Peter feels really good. Okay, Imagine Peter in your mind's eye holding a, a present of sorts. This is what it looks like when God gives you potential. When God gives you a calling. I saw God in a new deep way. I didn't know that God could be any more deep and any more applicable, but I, I was exposed in an altar call. I was exposed when I read my Bible. I was exposed by a sermon. And now God told me in that moment, you can have victory over that hidden problem. You can, you can have that future spouse. You can have that ministry. And now you're holding it. And we love holding potential. And in the very next moment, see, we preach these things as if they're separate. The very next moment, he tells Peter, Peter, I'm also going to die on the cross and come back three days later. And Peter said, no, no, you're not. God forbid. I'll protect you. You're not going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, which means accusatory. It means opposition. doesn't mean he's calling the devil. 
Sometimes the Bible called uh, angels acting as Satan's, meaning you're, you're an adversary. He said, your, your mind is on earthly things, but not on the will of God. And then he turns to all the disciples and he says, we preached this separate too. This is literally one conversation. Peter, you're called. Awesome. But Peter, I'm going to down the cross. No, you're not. Oh, there's a problem, Peter. Then he turns to all the disciples and says this. If any man lose his life for me, I will save it. But if any man tries to save his life, he'll lose it. Basically is this. Peter, you were okay with me telling you you're going to become a pastor. You were okay with me calling you. But then you were confused and confrontational upset when I told you that I had to die on the cross. Because that was unexpected. Peter, if I don't die on the cross, you don't become the pastor. If I don't die on the cross, you don't preach on the day of Pentecost. Your calling has to have this confrontational thing happen. Or your calling is null and void. But Peter was comfortable carrying the purpose. But then he didn't want the plan of God. Here's what happens. We think when God calls us and says you can't have this, we think we're already ready and we're already capable. No, you're not. God has to take you through something. Peter can't be the pastor if Jesus doesn't die. There's always a moment in which your calling gets a hold of you and you stop holding, holding it. And it contrasts you with where you are and where you know you can be. And it causes pain. When you try to chase after growth, freedom, a greater purpose, you always feel weaker. And you're like, man, if I was in this week? No, you're not any weaker. You're just exposing your weakness because you're stretching and reaching for something. The calling will always bring you to a point where it begins to attack your flesh. Peter was like, God, you can't do this. And he said, oh, wait a second. Oh, you want to take the seed that I give you, but then you want to tell me how to plant it. See, this is why it goes to being offended by God. That's why they're same sermons. You want to take my promise, but then you want to tell me how I have to move in your life. You don't want me to die on the cross because it's painful. But every seed, when you, you agree to the seed and you plant it, you have no other saying it. It grows the way it grows. And it happens. When he said, if any man save his life, he'll lose it. Basically he's saying, you can't hold my calling and then do it your own way because you won't get there. You'll lose it. You won't be chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. You can't say, God, I believe what you told me. I mean, it's going to happen. And then try to do your own plan. For every promise, God gives you a certain path. But yet most people cling to the promise and don't obey the path. That's why churches are full of people that are called, but few are chosen. Because we didn't think God was that confrontational. But if God's going to take you, if God's going to call you, and then prepare you to be that person. He's got to shave things and change things. We're like sculptures that argue with the sculptor. Can you leave that? That's going to hurt if you take that. Can you add this? We're trying to tell God how to carve us. And when God calls you, he just tells you that's the beginning of your program of change. You're not there yet. Buckle up, buttercup, because he's got to do some things and bring your flesh into conflict with your calling. And Peter was like, I'm okay with being a pastor, but you don't. You don't have to die. That's when he got upset. We call people, hold it. Chosen people, let the calling get a hold of them and do what it wants to do and change what it wants to change and have it say. If you can let God have his say completely and you can relinquish your preconceived ideas about how long it would take to be called and who you thought you would date and when and where and what kind of ministry you'd be in, you're like, I'm in this ministry and I didn't think this would happen. I, 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 I'm single longer than I thought I'd be or, or, or I'm doing this unexpectedly. All these unexpected things cause us to not obey God right because we have preconceived ideas of what we thought the truth would grow into. 
You expect a certain kind of fruit. You expect a certain type of timetable. You and God were all happy about the, the seed. You agreed on the seed. You agreed on where you're going to go, the destination. But you want to argue with God as if you know where you're going. And you won't yield to God's GPS. <laughs> GPS, God, you know. Put God wherever the G goes. Wherever the G stands for. Global positioning system. God positioning system. You got to let the flesh come in conflict. That's why it says God, when he began to give the children of Israel the promised land, he did it slowly. Why? He told them it's yours, but he didn't give it to them the moment he called them. Okay? They had to become chosen. He said, I'm not going to give it to you all at once because if you did, if I did, you couldn't maintain the cities and you couldn't handle all the cattle that you're going to get from your enemy. He said, the animals are on a muck. You're not capable yet when I called you. So I got to do it slowly and prepare you to be capable. But we get all weird and, 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 and conflicted and confused when that happens. But God is just prepping you. You can't handle the spouse the first time you pray for it. You can't handle the job the first time you pray for it sometimes. You can't handle the ministry. You can't, you, you can't maintain the victory the first time you ask for it. And so God puts you through a, a growth process. Otherwise, you'll lose it. And there's nothing more broken. There's nothing more debilitating to someone's faith as getting what you pray for and losing it. Because then you have a hard time believing that it's real in the first place. But if God can prepare you and help you keep it, then you're in a better place with God. Now notice I said you got to watch how these are consequential. These are in stories in sync. Because in the very next moment, Jesus says, I'm going to go pray. You're going to go pray? Yeah, I'm going to go pray. I want Peter, James, and John to come with me. Why Peter, James, and John? Okay, notice. Peter does not want you to something down the cross. And the disciples, in general, have a hard idea understanding that fact, and even that Jesus is the Son of God. Even though they said it, they still got confused. You know why? When he died, they all freaked out and said, well, why did he die? He just told you he's going to die over and over again. He's going to come back three days. But they still were at a pity party. Okay? They still had expectations of how this thing would go. He said, I'm going to take Peter, because Peter, i get I got to change you. You're okay with my calling, but I'm going to show you how this is actually going to work. i got to break you. you got to be okay with whatever I do. Takes James and John, two brothers, the, 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 these two brothers, which are the, the, the sons of thunder. He takes them because of this. Their mama and them are convinced that they're going to be the, on the right hand and left hand of Jesus in his physical kingdom where he overthrows the Romans. Where did they get that from? Because that's what they thought the prophecy meant. They thought Jesus was going to be a physical king, just like his, his spiritual or, or fleshy grandfather David. And he was going to sit on an earthly throne. And she wanted, and they wanted to be his right hand and left hand men, mighty men of valor. Well, that's not how Jesus is going to move. Well, Jesus has to take them to a moment of confrontation through conflict because they like being called by God, but the calling is going to change them in an unexpected way. Not a physical kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, James and John. You're not going to fight with the sword. You're going to fight with the pen and the word. You're not going to be what you thought you'd be. You like my calling right now, but it's going to come into conflict with you and freak you out. Because this isn't what you thought. When you get called, you have an instant idea of how you think it will go. And that never happens the way you thought it would go. And that's what ticks us off when it comes to God. He always rubs us the wrong way. Because we always have a plan for his purpose. <laughs> so he takes them up the mountain, okay? This story links right in. We always preach this story separately. Jesus begins to pray. Peter, James, and John are there. He becomes transfigured. His face begins to shine with glory, and his countenance, his robe becomes white. Basically, he becomes glorified. A heavenly manifestation of Jesus happens there, and Moses and Elijah show up and speak to him. You notice why the Bible doesn't tell us what they said, the conversation? You think they were speaking about deep things, right? 
But it doesn't tell us what he said because it doesn't matter. It wasn't about what they were saying. Here's what happened. If you're a Jewish man, Elijah and Moses are like huge in your mind. The prophets are huge. They literally cling to this. The reason why they can't accept Jesus, most Jewish people, was because they misunderstood the prophets. They were like, but Moses said this, and Elijah said this, and this is how we're supposed to pray. This is how we're supposed to worship. And Jesus is trying to show the whole Jewish nation, no, no, no. I actually fulfilled them. I'm actually greater than them. You misunderstood them. And they're like, I'm not sure about that. They're clinging to Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. The Bible says that Moses is like the foreshadow of Christ. That's how the Jews viewed him, a Christ-like figure. They love Moses and Elijah, okay, to a point where they, it makes them stumble and not receive Jesus. It's a point of idolatry, really. They cling to them. So what Moses and Elijah represent is Jewishness and misguidedness, the, 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 the law misunderstood. It represents everything that they're fighting with Jesus about. It represents how they always prayed, how their parents raised them, and everything they thought they knew. It represents preconceived ideas Moses and Elijah do. So whenever they speak, nobody hears. But here's why God did it. And here's why he brought Peter, James, and John. He's, he's fleshing it out. He, they're called, but they don't want to accept how God's going to do it. They don't want to accept who Jesus is and how he's going to die. Peter does this. God exposes weakness. Peter says, this is great. I'm so glad I'm here. Let me build three tents of worship. One for Elijah, one for Moses, one for you. He wanted to build a tent equal for all three. Because he had a high opinion of Elijah and a high opinion of Moses. He was trying to make them equal to Jesus. Why? He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what's happening. And when this happens, a voice from heaven, God says, Behold, this is my son in whom I will pleased. When the voice says that, Peter, James, and John hit the ground and cover their face. When Jesus walks up, the Bible says, it literally says, when Jesus touches them, they look up and all they see is Jesus. Elijah and Moses are gone. What was the point of all this? He was trying to show Peter, James, and John that I am greater than Elijah and Moses, that I am the end-all, be-all, and this is not how you thought it was going to go. Peter thinks that they're somewhat equal. Peter still can't separate the past and how he was raised. Let's fill three tents, and God literally says, no, this is my son. This is the end. This is, this is the fulfillment. They saw only Jesus. It was showing them you got to give me your past and give me your ideas and let me take you somewhere new. Now listen, let me be very applicable. He was not getting rid of Elijah and Moses. He was showing them, he said, I've not come to get rid of the law, I've come to fulfill it. Meaning that Moses and Elijah are meant to be stood upon, upon their shoulders. And Jesus is greater, something to be reached after. But they were trying to make Moses and Elijah and Jesus all equal. He's like, no, 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 because Peter wanted to be a warrior for the physical king because that's how he thought Moses and Elijah were speaking about Jesus. Jesus said, no, 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 give me what you think you knew. Give me what you think prayer was. Give me Moses and Elijah. You don't really understand them. You stand upon your past and upon this and let me take you somewhere deeper for I am greater. What does this mean? What is your Moses and your Elijah? What is my Moses and my Elijah? It is how you've always been raised. It is who you've seen pray. It's the influences of your life. You're meant to have them, and God, you need them. I preached a whole sermon Sunday about you got to have them, okay? Moses and Elijah are raised you. They're your parents. They're your pastors. They're your accountability partners. They're people that are influencing you, okay? People that teach you. But there eventually comes a time in which God speaks to you and says, Listen, those people that influenced you were meant to be something you stand upon, but not something that limited you. 
The Jews only wanted Moses and Elijah. They didn't want Jesus, an unimpressive man that was going to preach about a spiritual kingdom down on the cross. We don't want that. They, they didn't want that, and Jesus had to take it from them. What happens is sometimes we only, we use the influence of our parents' spirituality. We use how spiritual our homes are now. We use the devotionary habits of now as the ceiling that we hope we can reach one day and not the foundation we stand upon. You're meant to have a most enlightening. Thank God for spiritual parents and for mentors and for youth pastors and all these things. But you're meant to stand on my shoulders, not to limit yourself by what I teach you and by what you see in me. Each generation is supposed to go further and they didn't want to. And so you're going to have a moment with God and God's going to say, why do you pray this way? Why do you pray this long? Why do you pray this short? Why do you speak to me this way? Why, why do you view holiness this way? Why do you, why do you view ministry this way? Because uh, you're most enlightened. That's fantastic. But I didn't want that to be the end of be all. I wanted that to be the beginning and Jesus is the end. God is going to come to every one of you one day and you say, listen, speak to me in your words, not your parents' words. Let me teach you about holiness, not just your parents' illustration. Let's go back to the book. There's a principle called first principles. And this is why we lose truth. We only understand the illustrations the passion generation used to help us understand truth and we don't understand the scriptures for ourselves. We repeat stories and illustrations that preachers preached but we don't understand the scriptures for ourselves. Each generation has to go back to the beginning and not limit themselves by what they were taught but stand upon it and go back with fresh eyes. He was saying, I like Moses and I like Elijah but you got to come back and find God for yourself too and not be limited by it. You understand what I'm saying? Not to neglect your parents or neglect how you were raised or neglect me, God forbid, but not to be limited by it and let God speak uniquely and specifically to your life and go back to first. When they looked up, all they saw was Jesus. Notice the sequence. I just said, you're exposed to God and God gives you a blessing tied to that exposure. You hold it, but then when you let it get a hold of you, it does things unexpected, like it, it makes you uncomfortable. You're going to die. You're going to change me. You're going to take longer than I thought. I'm going to come in conflict. Every calling has a conflict. When you can come in conflict with your calling and obey it, then you become chosen. What happened was God showed up. Jesus was transfigured. They saw a spiritual movement of Elijah and Moses, the voice from heaven spoke, exposure. And then when they put their face down, Jesus touched them. You get exposed by God, and then God gets a hold of you. And after Jesus touched and looked up, and all they saw was Jesus. Jesus changed the situation. He changed what they saw. What I'm saying is this. Collins went this way. First, God exposes himself to you, and then God wants to get a hold of you and take what he wants to take from you and give what he wants to give to you, and he wants to shape you and mold you. Most people stay in calling mode because we don't want God to take. Okay? This is very illustrated, and I'm almost done. This is illustrated deeply when Peter goes to walk on the water with Jesus. Jesus is out on the water, and they're all exposed to what? A new side of Jesus. This dude can walk on water, right? Every calling starts with being greater exposed. I read a verse that made me shook. I, I heard a sermon that compelled me. I'm exposed to the new side of God. And then in that moment, God usually gives you an invitation. What did Peter do? Is that you, Lord, I'm exposed to? Is that you, Jesus, I see in the water? And Jesus said, it is me. He said, well, the Lord call me out on the water. He got called. He only got called because he got exposed. If you want to have a deeper calling, a deeper blessing, and deeper answer prayers, get deeper exposed to Jesus. Just take your eyes off the boat and look out on the water and say, is that you? And when you see him, then he calls you out. You can't, God will not call you out deeper. In whatever area you want to be called, 
Whatever area you want to be invited, if you can't find him first. And so he gets called out. When he begins to walk on the water, though, what happens is it says that he looks at the waves and the wind and he began to sink. Why did he begin to sink? Because Peter is excited. I see Jesus doing something crazy. And he's excited because Jesus just called me, Peter. None of you other guys. He called me out of the boat. Yay for me. But when he got on the water, things began to go unexpectedly. I don't know what he thought, but he did not expect waves to keep happening. He probably thought that the guy that calmed the storm in the boat stories before, months before, was going to calm the water when people began to walk on it. He realized, wait a second, I'm called, but I still have problems. I'm praying every day, and I'm still tempted. I, I've been fasting and reaching, but I'm still at that ministry. Things unexpectedly began to happen. Waves and winds still happened, and he allowed the conflict to make him sink. But Jesus walks up. And as Peter reaches up, Jesus grabs him and gets a hold of him and walks on the water with him. Notice the steps to being called. You see Jesus on the water. Jesus calls you out. Great. Most people, though, when unexpected things happen, it takes longer or God wants to do something to you that you didn't think was proportional to what you were going to do in God. Or that prayer, that new job. God begins to do things that are painful. You freak out, you sink, and you swim back to the boat and start all over again. But those that become chosen as they're sinking in the confusion of, I didn't know God was going to take that and make me do that. I didn't know God was going to change my ideas about this or that. They reach their hands out and God gets a hold of them and walks with them. God exposes you. God calls you. The calling gets a hold of you and changes you. Peter got to walk on the water because he let Jesus get a hold of him. He only got confused because he didn't expect it to be so confrontational. Ask questions that you don't think you need to ask. God, what is grace? God, what is forgiveness? God, what is truth? What is salvation? Ask God and let those things get a hold of you. Let God deepen your definitions more and more every day. Because you're holding what you think you know. But when you let it get a hold of you, you can go even deeper and deeper with God. That's there's going to be called and chosen. Now, I'm gonna, in three minutes, I'm going to be very applicable. Okay, I'm almost done. So let me, let me 20, 27 minutes. I'll be very, very applicable with you, okay? I keep going to step down. I don't know why. I'll be very applicable with you. People, most people give up. We have all given up at times because we had the calling and we didn't expect the calling to reach over and slap us in the face and say change. Or ask us to change in an unexpected way or do unexpected things, okay? Like I said, when you open that Bible and it's hard, if you keep reading it, your stomach will switch its diet and be able to handle meat. But you just got to stay long enough. You didn't think it was going to be hard? The Bible and God is confrontational. It's deep stuff, y'all. It's hard in the flesh. Solomon even says, be careful about pursuing spiritual things because it's going to be hard on your flesh. You're switching your diet. So, But if you understand that it's going to be hard, then you won't run away and start over again next Tuesday when God inspires you again and exposes himself to you again. Right? So if you get comfortable with that and you let God get a hold of you and change you and break you in good ways, then you can change and you can be chosen. Whenever I was called to be in ministry, I did not expect youth pastoring. Okay? Whenever I was called and I began a youth pastor, I didn't expect a youth pastor for five and a half years. And most people usually view ministry this way. You become a youth pastor. You have your, your, your church ministry. And then if, you, if, you, if you're called to it and you progress enough, eventually you stop doing that and then you have a main church ministry that is consequential. It's step one, step two. Usually that's what happens. Usually you don't have them happen at the same time. Well, God did something weird in my life in that all of a sudden, after five years, I have a youth pastoring ministry and I also have an upstairs ministry. 
And the first time I preached upstairs, it was like, I'm just preaching upstairs. It's a symptom or a showing of youth ministry. But I'm not having like a unique ministry for upstairs. But as the years go by, and I begin to preach every month, I begin to realize I actually have a, a specific ministry to preach specific sermons upstairs. Well, you know what it causes? It causes pain. Because then you're like, I feel like I'm filling two buckets now. I feel like I'm robbing one or the other. I feel like which sermon do I preach to which crowd first? You feel like you're trying to bless two different congregations. And, and all these things happen. And this is not how I thought things would go. Okay? And when things go unexpectedly, you become impatient or confused and you forget and you think maybe, maybe the calling was wrong or whatever. But I learned something very quickly by the grace of God. That all I did, I got to agree to the seed, the calling, but I had no say about how long it took or how it happened. Okay? And so, no matter what disadvantages come, no matter how long it takes, no matter what goes on, you still trust in it and you don't get freaked out or offended by God. Because then when you begin to pray, like, I appreciate you things that are very pastoral, but sometimes I preach those things upstairs. But I feel God literally constraining me for certain sermons upstairs, and I feel like sometimes I'm supposed to preach very devotionally or relationally or evangelistically. He, pastor, preaches, you know, pastoral things. And then I come in every once in a while like a little five-hour energy shot and just try to make people, you know, feel God and, and reach for their prayer closet, okay? Unique purpose. That's not the purpose I have just down here. I'm preaching about angels and all these things for you. It feels weird to split purposes. Usually when you're a minister, you chase one goal. But I have split purposes now. It causes confusion, and you never feel like you're doing anything right. And you're like, am I fulfilled in each area? I don't know. But then God began to show me that why are you so freaked out? Oh, because this didn't meet what you, how you thought it would go, your expectations. Are you less called? No. Are you less used? No. Are you less anointed? No. Only thing that changed is you just didn't the way I thought it would. I didn't think you'd down across, Jesus, Peter was thinking. I didn't think that's what it would take. I didn't think he'd change me. I didn't think he'd do this. I didn't think he'd use me that way. Let me tell you something. My wife did not realize she'd be married at 21. She did not realize she'd have a baby at 21. She did not realize that these things would happen. We talk about it all the time because we all are called, but yet our callings happen in different ways, and that causes pain. But if you can be okay with the pain, then you can still become chosen. But you can't give up if things don't go your way. Every one of you have had callings, and if things don't happen your way, you think you're taking the wrong path, or you're weak, or you messed up. No, no, no. God never told you it happened that way. God never made those promises. He just said, it's going to happen, and he never told you how. But yet we get frustrated with God because it's not happening the way we thought. God never told you it happened that way. You thought he did, but he didn't. And then you become offended. You didn't realize that every calling has a point of conflict. What? And if you can stomach it, then you can be chosen. We talk about all the time in here we're young and things that happen unexpectedly. We're very blessed and it's, it's wonderful. But it's, this is not normative. Normative means it happens consistently. This is, how you, this is not normative. In most ministries and most callings and most relationships, well, I thought I'd find my spouse when my parents did. That didn't happen for me. That freaked me out. I thought that it'd feel this way. It didn't happen. Well, the, we, we run off these preconceived scripts, and if it doesn't check all the boxes and hit all the emotions, then it can't be right. No, no, no. You just watch the seed and let God wants to do. First, you're exposed to God, and then God gives you a blessing, and you're holding it, and you feel great. Then that, that you open the present, and that calling gets a hold of you. <laughs> And it begins to freak you out because it's messing up your room and it's taking things and it's adding things. You're like, oh, I did not expect this. I picture like a little gremlin called a calling that you let out of the box and begins to tear up your life. Like, ah, oh, that's not what I thought. Why, why is my life in chaos? Because God is breaking things. We all like holding purposes, but we don't want the path or the plan. 
I've been very specific and clear enough with you. You're all going through this and you will all go through this. Don't be offended by God and don't think that life is easy. Having more comfort does not mean you're walking in greener pastures. Having more comfort, comfort is not a spiritual sign of growth sometimes. God will give you comfort some ways. But the harder you try to grow, you get spiritual altitude sickness. You're meant to go higher than the mountain. You're close to God. You're like, I feel a little, a little short of breath. What's wrong with me? You're growing, stupid. You're not, you're not freaking out. You're growing. It has pain. Anybody's knees hurt when you begin to grow as a teenager? And you're like, Mama, I got, I get brittle bones. I got scoliosis. Something's wrong. I got to finish you. No, you're 14. Drink more milk. It may help. But that's what happens. You're growing. The Christians do this to God all the time. I liked the destination. But then when it began to change me, that's when I got confused. You stay with me. Now, I know it's a, it's a slimmer crowd, and, 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 and I know it's a Wednesday, and, and I had to explain a lot. And, and um, it's going to be very applicable. It's some sermons you have to think about. But I, I'm, I'm just going to ask that you can sit and kneel. We're just going to pray for, for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. Okay? Instead of timer, there's no pressure. Okay? I just want you to talk to God. You've had a busy week. You're going to have a busier week. And I just want this to be a reprieve in your day. We come here to anchor and to, and to you know, basically, um, this is a, like a life preserve. This is a rekindling. Okay? We all have personal devotion we're trying to have, but you come back to church because you're going to anchor yourself. Okay? Something happens when we come together. So I, w- I want you to pray about this in your own words. You're, the, you're your own illustration for the sermon. Everybody knows, so I, you know, I used to think the preacher didn't get me because it just didn't make sense to me. Like he didn't, he didn't read my mail. And then if you think and pray about, oh, you know what? I can take his Bible and be my illustration. And I realize, oh, it, fits for my, it works for my life. Don't belittle the word. I, someone that I was talking, they said, you know, I just don't feel understood that people understand me. I said, nobody understands anybody. Nobody does. That's why we preach the word. Because the word can reach for you and you become the illustration. The word does not need to be limited. When I preach the sermon, all of you think different applications, different illustrations, different life stories. You think different things. And it hits different areas. One word. And the applicableness of it is usually just determined by us, our willingness. I want you to ask God simple things. Like, what is my calling and is this pain a symptom of it? What are you trying to take? Am I, pay, am I impatient because I didn't expect the pain? And if you're calling that blessing, that spouse, that, that ministry, whatever, pick the destination. Pick your promised land. What side of you are you trying to get me to see through this? Because you just don't want to take the blessing and leave the exposure because then it won't last. God, what side of you are trying to show me? I want to be exposed to you. What lesson are you trying to teach me about you that I can imitate that is the, the heart of why you want to call me to this or why you want to give me this. God does not just give you new things just to make you feel good. He doesn't make you more like Him. So as you sit and kneel, I'm going to pray. Devin's going to crack up the music a little bit more. We're just going to take a moment and, and be honest with God and apply this word to your life. God, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace.